0: A crisis of faith can come upon a Christian unprepared. It's almost as if we wake up one morning and all is changed. A major loss or an injustice we've suffered can create doubt. Even weariness or depression can make us feel we've fallen from grace, lost connection with God, been abandoned. In my own life, one such a time was while I was in seminary studying abroad in Aberystwyth, Wales. Suddenly, without warning, I found myself feeling cut off from God, mouthing prayers that just seemed to echo in my own head, and feeling adrift, lost, and afraid. It seemed an indeterminable time of silence and loss. In later years, I would come to understand it as a desert experience, a dark night of the soul, a transition in my own faith development. But then, it was just an acutely painful separation from God, and my only sure companion was the unrelenting silence of God. Have you ever wondered if the disciples and followers of Jesus might not have felt such a loss at the time of the Ascension, which we anticipate in our Gospel reading and which we will celebrate here this coming Thursday. Perhaps you remember seeing depictions of the Ascension event, either in art books or in older churches. The followers of Jesus are standing on a mountain looking up and from the top of the picture, we see two feet hanging from the heavens. Do you wonder if a few of the followers didn't feel desperate, didn't want to grab on to those feet as a child might catch an escaping balloon, and beg Jesus to stay just a while longer, or at least to take them with him? This departure marks the time in the life of the first Christians when the risen Lord would return to God and they would experience Christ's presence in a different way. The event is chronicled several places in scripture with Luke's account in the Acts of the Apostles being the most complete and least questions. In that account, Jesus concludes 40 days of being with the Apostles since the resurrection. He promises that they will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he's lifted up and a cloud takes him out of sight. After he is gone, two men in white robes appear proclaiming that Jesus will return in the same manner that he left. In the gospel accounts, the ascension is only told by Luke, or perhaps in the questionable longer ending of Mark. But neither John nor Matthew have an ascension tradition. However, in Matthew, Jesus takes the eleven disciples to a mountain and there commissions them. He concludes his ministry by urging them to remember that he will be with them always, even to the end of time. And in today's gospel lesson from John, Jesus tells the disciples, I am going to the Father. And he also says, peace I leave with you. Such statements indicate his leave-taking. And it's to the departure of Jesus that I would like to address my thoughts today. Any time love goes away, someone we love goes away, whether they move or they die, we experience loss. If they move away, that loss can be remedied with letters and phone calls and visits, but we still miss them and the former closeness we enjoyed. But if they die or there will be little means of contact, such as we had before, the loss is profound. There are stages of mourning that we pass through in coming to terms with every loss. One of the first stages is denial and right on its heels comes shock. And then the many, many faces of grief, acute pain and longing, anger over our powerlessness to change the situation, guilt over what we might have done better. There are emotional swings. Fear can flutter in our breast We can have lapses in thinking. We may miss appointments, become easily confused, feel overwhelmed. And surrounding it all is a pervasive sadness. Slowly we progress with love and support and the tincture of time. We gradually achieve acceptance of our loss, and healing takes place. But with every loss, we are changed. And how we are changed will depend on how we come to view the loss Over time. When we think of how the disciples must have felt at Jesus' leave-taking, we may wonder how he understood understood his words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who stood at the bedside of a dying friend. And another friend, in an effort to help ease the dying man out of his pain, kept urging him to just let go, to surrender to death and let it be over. And when that friend, who had tried to do what he thought was right, left the room for a few minutes, my friend took the dying man's hand and said, take as long as you need, it's okay with me. I'm not going anywhere, I'll be here. Jesus says he'll be with us through it all to the end of time. Let's turn now to our lesson from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, because he offers us a new and rich understanding of the ascension. Paul speaks of the power of God, which works for those who believe, enlightening them and giving them hope. He goes on to say that God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In this passage, Paul conceives of Jesus as growing larger and more comprehensive. Later in the same epistle, he describes Jesus as the one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. We are being asked to stretch and expand our understanding of Christ, moving from the Jesus of history, a first-century Jew with a human body that began, as all bodies do, from a single cell, to the Christ of faith, a cosmic reality that encompasses all of us as his body now we're urged to think in the most comprehensive way we know how, to allow the old wineskins of our understanding to burst and to let the heady new wine take us into uncharted and dizzying new places, such as under the skin of the risen Christ. In The Last Supper, painting by Salvador Dali, Jesus is seated with his disciples, and on the table, broken before him, is the bread that he's consecrated to be his body. At first glance, the painting looks like many depictions we've seen of the Last Supper, but a closer look shows that an amazing thing is happening in the picture. The body of Jesus, the body of Christ, is becoming transparent, and we can see through his chest and arms to the sea, and the boats behind him. Through him, we are seeing the world, but we're seeing it differently. And he is becoming the world. The 20th century paleontologist and theologian Tehar de Chardin wrote, Since first you said, Lord, this is my body, not only the bread of the altar, but to a certain extent, everything in the universe that nourishes the soul for the life of spirit and grace, has become yours, become divine. It is divinized, divinizing, and divinizable. Every presence makes me feel that you are near me. Every contact is the touch of your hand. J.B. Phillips, who translated the Bible, coined the phrase, Your God is too small. We might better understand the ascension as the completion of a mystery that challenges and amazes us. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And such an understanding of Christ becoming the cosmos will strike each of us as no less than revelation. In going to God, Jesus has transcended space and time, entering all space, and all time, and visible in all the forces of the universe if we have eyes to see. I began by telling you about a crisis of faith that I underwent, but I didn't tell you how it was resolved. Over time, the silence of God that had been so cold and distancing started to change. I began to sense a presence in its depths, and gradually found comfort in it. Eventually I found my theology changing and in time I realized that the silence of God was paradoxically the way God had spoken to me and had enabled me to find my own voice. I found within myself that I was part of Christ's body, that God was still with me, teaching me in a new and deeper intimacy and seeking me as actively as I had been seeking God. The poet Mary Oliver wrote, Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation. In every loss, there are seeds of change. Haven't you found that your losses are often the means by which you grow? I think it's the same for an individual as for a congregation and a community. In retrospect, don't you sometimes find that what initially looked like a great loss came to give you a great gift? I know that is so with the departure of Jesus. The person of one being who taught, loved, healed, challenged, and transformed people in first century Palestine has been transformed by the power of God to fill all creation with the presence of a sacrificing love. And as we heard in the first lesson with the story of Lydia, one which actually opened the door to the gospel moving into Europe, The love that traveled from God to Christ, then to the apostles, and on to the early church, and now to us, we see how it began. Jesus promised that he would be with us always, even to the end of time. Let us seek to find him in the world around us, especially when we feel lost and alone. Let us trust that there is presence there seeking us even when we don't perceive it. And let us remember that we are all Christ's body now. And that through Christ and with Christ and in Christ we participate in the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Amen.